I wanted to thank you for the warm welcome and the generosity that you gave to Mike. He was deeply touched. In fact, he sent the whole church a card, and he said, Dear friends at the Willard Church of the Nazarene, I am grateful for the opportunity to speak last Sunday, and I am humbled by your very thoughtful and generous love gift. Signed, Mike Leonard. So uh, I really appreciate that. We, you, you guys took care of him and uh, blessed him, and I thought that was awesome. And, and I told him, I said, Mike, whatever we can do, we want to be a part of, if you can get Teen Challenge, Adult and Teen Challenge started, we want to be a, a more active part than we've been in the past and really, really be a part of that. So I'm, I'm praying for that. Hopefully you're praying for that. Let's be looking for that and see what God does and where God calls us to fit in with that. I can't wait, and I know God's going to do amazing things to that program once again. Um, so let's just be in prayer and agreement about that. All right. If you are an active church member, you probably have a sheet of paper that says, do you want to extend the call to myself and to vote on that? We're going to vote at the end of the service. We'll, we'll tally those up. But before we do that, I just want to make sure uh, this will be like the worst sales pitch ever All right, for that. But you are going to be going from a full-time pastor to a part-time pastor. The only way that's going to work, and I really, I really believe this, the only way the church works in general too, is if we all realize that God calls us all and we step up to that call and really step out on faith and act. Uh, you're going to have to fill in for the pastor in certain areas. But to me, that's perfect because that's what we should be doing. That's what will challenge your faith. That'll be a way for you to grow and stretch your faith muscles. But you have to realize that. I've got a, I'll have a full-time job if you do extend that. Right now, I'm the city manager, but I've told council that I'll be stepping back and ask them to go back to my previous job so that I will have more time. So that's my plan uh, if this goes through. If it doesn't go through, then that's fine. You won't hurt my feelings or anything like that. But that's where we're at. So, uh, also, too, I'll need some patience. If this does go through, please be patient until I can get transitioned out of, out of my job and um, go from there. Does anybody have any questions that they'd like to ask me before you guys vote later on? No? All right. Well, if this goes through, I'm excited. Uh, Adivy and I have been feeling this call for a few years now, and we were thinking about Norwalk possibly starting up a church or Monroeville or something like that. And then this came about, uh, we offered it up, church board said no, we want somebody full-time, right? Totally understood that, and we were happy, you know. And then all of a sudden, I think God spoke to the church board, and so they offered uh, the call and put it up to you guys. But Adavi and I are excited about this. Um, I've got a million things going through my head. I don't know about you, Adavi. Uh, where do we go? I don't know. But what I'm going to preach on, I think, has to be part of the start and something that we need to get a hold of. Um, I'm excited because I see a lot of potential in a lot of people and a lot of people that are willing, a lot of people that are scared and nervous about some things, but I think they're willing. And really, if you vote yes, you're voting to partner with us in this endeavor. And um, like I said, I can't wait see what happens and what God has in store. So, all right, you have a slip. At the end, we'll collect those. Don't vote until after the sermon, and we'll go from there. All right? <laughs> Change of life jar. 
This is the last Sunday for the Change of Life jar. It's out in the foyer. So if you want to, as you're passing by, put some money into it. Uh, Pray for the people, the two people that we're going to be giving it to, that God uses this to bless them. We want to keep that hidden, though. We want to keep that secret because we don't don't want to do it to be known and all out there. We just want to bless some people, right? So we're not going to bring those people up and show them who you are, but the church board voted on that, and they chose to people that we think um, could really benefit from this. So keep that in mind. All right, last thing, decorations. Uh, hopefully you like the decorations. I, I was worried that we would not have anybody show up for decorations, and you guys showed up in a big way. So I really appreciate everybody that showed up. If you Remember, if you don't show up for decorations, putting them up, you're the ones who put them back, all right? <laughs> so it's fair. All right, would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we just thank you for today. Thank you for another day, another opportunity to give you praise and honor. Lord, I pray that you would be just glorified through this service. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to be challenged by you. Lord, I pray that you would just have right away, that you would do whatever you want. If you lead somebody to do something, I pray that they would step out in faith and do that, no matter how weird it might be. Lord, I pray that you would speak through our praise team, and that you would, you would help them to draw our attention to you. Lord, I know this morning I was feeling totally dead, and you reminded me of praise, Lord, and I know you, you came alive. And I pray it would be the same thing in all of our hearts here today. I don't know what they're going through, but you do. Lord, help us to draw our attention to you and to give you all our praise. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.
going to have Advent after, after we pray. Sorry, totally missed that during the announcements parts. Mm. I don't know about you, but there's something about praise and worship time when we, when we draw our attention to the Father. It just calms my heart and gives me peace. I know I was feeling, this week, feeling a lot of anxiety with about a lot of things and just started to, to pray and to worship Him, and um, He calmed that, that storm. I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're feeling the same things, just worship him. Spend time with him. You know, some of my favorite times with my dad were just playing in the sandbox, putting models together, just doing stuff together. And, and I think it's the same thing with our, our Heavenly Father. Just spend some time with him, talking to him. There doesn't have to be an agenda. Do you want to say something? Okay. There doesn't have to be an agenda. You know, just spend time talking to him. Sometimes I don't even sing during praise and worship. I'll just talk to him about some stuff. So feel free to do that. Father, we just, we just come before you again, and, and, and we give you all praise. Lord, I pray that you would be with these prayer requests that were mentioned, genetic issues, depression issues, uh, people coming through surgery, Father, um, people dealing with COVID and or the partially being exposed to COVID and having to quarantine and having their lives turned upside down, Lord, everything that's going on, Father, we give it to you. And we ask you just to move in these situations. Lord, these are exciting times to live in, Father, because you are faithful. Lord, we know that we can put our trust in you and give everything to you and trust you with whatever the outcome. We know that you can work things for our good. Lord, I pray that, um, that you would just open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your message, to your call. Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking to everyone in here. Father, I pray if there's somebody that thinks, man, I'm just too far gone, I'm no good, I'm too old, I'm too whatever it is. Lord, I pray that you'd put a fresh calling on their life. Give them peace, Lord, and bring people to them. Lord, don't let anybody have that attitude. Father, because you are the God who enables. You are the God who works through weak vessels and shows your strength. Lord, we praise you for that. We praise you that we can partner with you. Father, And don't let us ever forget it, that we are only partnering with you in what you're doing. 
Lord, help us to be a church that builds your kingdom and follows you. In your name we pray. Amen. Andy, Emma, if you'd come up for Advent. The second candle represents faith and is called Bethlehem's candle. Sorry, my voice is going. (laughs) Um, Micah had foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, which is also the birthplace of King David. The second candle is also purple to symbolize preparation for the coming king. Micah 2, beginning at verse 5, was written 735 years ago before the birth of Christ. It says... But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me, or for me, sorry, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Thank you. All right, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 25, Luke chapter 25. I don't know if you caught that, but that passage from Micah is, was written 735 years before the birth of Christ. There is so much prophecy in the Bible that was written hundreds of years that describes the life of Jesus Christ. It is amazing, amazing. All right, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. This is the, the story of the Good Samaritan. And this is one of the most famous stories ever written. Whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, people recognize how good this story is, along with the the story of the prodigal son. And we just want to read it for you. So Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? If you're able. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, 
Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word. Lord, we want to hear nothing else but what you have for us. Bring this alive in our hearts. Call us, Lord, individually, collectively. Show us what you'd have us do. Lord, we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You, you may be seated. The title of this message is, You're No Good Samaritan. You're No Good Samaritan. Believe it or not, believe it or not this is what this, this story is about, or what the story is trying to teach, or this, what the story is trying to say. You're No Good Samaritan. In our day and age, the, the phrase Good Samaritan is kind of one that's been, become watered down. I think a lot of people know it, uh, but it kind of has lost its meaning or lost its, its where it should be at. I know I heard a story of a, about a person who uh, lost his wallet in a parking lot, and um, a couple hours later, he didn't even realize it, and he started to look for his wallet, and a store calls him up and says, hey, uh, we found your wallet here. And he's like, oh, good. And I was looking for that. Uh, did one of your, your people in the store find it or, or what happened? And they were like, no, somebody in the parking lot just happened to come along. Uh, some, some stranger that we don't really know. You know, a good Samaritan did that. Now, that's kind of what a good Samaritan has come to be known for. Just somebody who does a random act of kindness for someone. And if you're like me, that's how you would describe it. It's not bad but it's not really all of what a good Samaritan is. So we want to look at that and discuss that and dig into this passage. A good Samaritan, you know, a kind deed for a stranger. Um, a good Samaritan, the good Samaritan, it's much bigger than that. In fact, the, the original purpose for this story was not to inspire this guy that Jesus is talking to to be a better person. All right? It's not about that, but instead, it was to enlighten this guy. It was to put a mirror up so that this guy could see himself and come to realize that he was not as good as he thought he was. That's the purpose of this. Now, the man, an expert in the law, a teacher of the law. We're not talking about a defense attorney or somebody that's a lawyer. This is a religious figure, all right? It would be like a, a seminary professor, that's who we're, who we're talking about. He's somebody that knows better than anyone what you would have to do for eternal life. This is something he's studied, he's researched, he's looked at. He would spent years and years trying to figure this out. He, he's trying to figure out and trying to study what does God require of us? What does somebody have to do to please God? How do we get to heaven? This is his life's call. That's why he came to test Jesus. Another translation says that he came to trap Jesus. He and the rest of his colleagues have been hearing about this, this new teacher, this Jesus guy, preaching this message of the kingdom. This, this easy believism. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a prostitute or a tax collector or some kind of sinner. 
If you just believe in Jesus, if you just have faith, you can be saved. You know, you don't have to follow all the laws. You don't have to fast and pray twice a day like he does. You just have to have faith. They were nauseated by Jesus' message. They were infuriated by Jesus' message of grace and faith. Why? Why were they nauseated? Because Jesus' message is about the gospel. And the gospel always puts Jesus in the role of Superman. And we're always put in the role of somebody that needs to be saved. That's the gospel. They were mad because they don't get to be the hero. That's what they wanted. They don't like that. They want to earn their salvation. They want to be able to look at something and be proud of it. They want God to look down and say, Oh, wow, look at that person. Look what they do. That person's amazing. I want that guy on my team. I want that woman on my team. I want that kid on my team. Man, that would just just be great. They want to be able to puff up their chest. They want to be able to show off their merit badges, their chest full of merit badges. And that's why they couldn't stand Jesus and his message, and that's why they came to trap him. The religious leader is going to teach Jesus a thing or two. He's been studying this all his life. He's going to take Jesus down a peg. And we know how that ends up, though, right? So this guy comes to him and says, how do you, inter- how do you inherit eternal life? Now, he's thinking Jesus is going to say something along the lines of what he's been teaching people and preaching to people. Believe in me. Have faith. And at that point, the guy is ready to pounce on him with the law of Moses, with Moses, the Ten Commandments. He's ready to just strike and hit Jesus over the head with that. Because Moses and the law, he thought, validated his point in his belief. But this is Jesus, right? Jesus hears the question. He knows what this guy is thinking. He knows where this guy is coming. And he says, well, what's the law say? Right? So immediately this guy is like, oh, wait a minute. You you can't use the law. I'm going to use the law. That's my point. So he throws this guy for a loop. So now he's on his heels, and he's like, uh, well, I wasn't prepared for that kind of answer. Um, well, uh, you have to love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was like, that's right. That's right. Yeah, do that. Yeah, if you can do that, you'll inherit eternal life. Love God perfectly and love your neighbor like you love yourself. Right? And I love in verse 28, he says, Jesus says it's so good. Do this and you'll live. Right? Like it's, it's easy. Just, just do this and you'll live. And we don't pick up on this, but there's a little bit of a barb in there. Do the impossible and you'll live. If you can do this, but you aren't doing this. It's like saying, if you could love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, then you'll have eternal life. And of course, you haven't done that. And no one is truly capable of doing that. And so Jesus says this, and this guy is going to push. And he's like, well, who exactly is my neighbor? What's 
what's a neighbor? You know, neighbor is such an open-ended term. It's such a super complicated term, right? I mean, who can really know who their neighbor is? Like, Jesus, when you say neighbor, are you talking everyone? Are we supposed to do that for everyone? I mean, uh, do I have to love everyone as much as I love myself? You can't expect me to do that, right? So Jesus responds to that question with a story. Like I said, one of the most famous stories ever written, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you've heard of this. And he's going to show this guy, you're no good Samaritan. That's what he's going to show him. Story starts out with a man, presumably a Jewish man, heading down from Jerusalem to Jericho. While this guy is coming back home, he's attacked by robbers, right? Now, this particular stretch of road, it was infamous. It was known. The people, as soon as they heard Jesus mention this stretch of road, they would have been like, oh, hope that guy wasn't traveling alone, right? Because he's going to be in trouble. Or I hope that guy was packing a Smith & Wesson or packing some heat. Because there's no way he should be walking that alone. This is a road that people got mugged and robbed all the time. They were very familiar with this stretch. 17 miles long. So notorious it was known as the Way of Blood. You had to take a road named the Way of Blood. I'm sure if you're like me, you'd probably skip that one. So this is the road the man is walking. And of course he gets robbed and they beat him, and they leave him half dead, lying on the ground. But, fortunately, a priest comes up, right? A priest comes up, and a priest would have been the number one most likely person that's going to stop and help this man. Jewish man lying there, half dead. Here comes the priest. Here comes the person who represents God, a person that is supposed to be known for compassion, Right? A pastor, a spiritual leader. No doubt he's come from Jerusalem where he's just finished worshiping God or he's just finished serving God. He's in the right frame of mind to help somebody out, to come to this man's aid. But the text says the priest, seeing the man, avoided him and stepped over to the other side of the road. Now, this path is not a wide road, it's only it's very small in many portions. So it's not like our roads where you could get to the other side of the sidewalk and easily pass by. This man would have had to pass by right next to this guy, maybe even step over him, and he would have seen this man. And yet he passes by. But don't worry, the Levite's there, right? The Levite's coming. The Levite would be the worship leader, all right? And if you remember two weeks ago, I told you, remember, The worship leaders are crazy. They'll do anything. Crazy in a good way, Adaby. (laughs) Of course the worship leader is going to help this person out. But no, he doesn't either. He too passes by on the other side. Now both the priest and the Levite were supposed to be God's hands and feet. Right for benevolence, for charity, for kindness to the people. These are the people that people would bring in their tithes and offerings and they would give them to them and the people would distribute to, to people as they had need and help people. They were the best shot. They were the most likely people that would help this man. 
Nationality-wise, they're Jews too. This is one of their fellow man. And by profession, it's their calling. It's their job. They were obligated to help. But in Jesus' story, they passed by. And I'm sure they had a million good excuses, right? They're busy. They have been working all day in the temple and serving God all day. And, you know, they really need to get home to their family. Or maybe what if I stop and help this person out? Maybe I'll get mugged. And then who's going who's gonna to take care of my family? Who's going to be the, the shepherd to my flock? A million good excuses that probably you and I have used, right? When we've stepped over and avoided people in need. Well, here's where the story takes a twist. Jesus says that in comes a Samaritan, and there would have been a gasp. A what? A Samaritan? In comes the Samaritan. And most of you know this, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. Hated. It's like Republicans and Democrats, all right? It's like Michigan and Ohio State. It's like Xbox and PlayStation. You just do not like that other side. They hated each other. And I don't know if you know this, but they're actually related. The Samaritans were Jews. But then they, a split-off happened and a family feud was the result. They, they kind of had a denominational type thing. Hey, you don't worship right. We're the ones who worship right. You're doing it wrong. No, you're doing it wrong. We're the ones worshiping right. They really hated each other. Get this, a normal Jewish man would pray every day. And in one of his prayers, he would say, thank God there's going to be no Samaritans in the resurrection. That's rough, right? Could you imagine us saying that to a people group? Or, you know, thank God there's going to be, I don't even want to put anything in there, you know, because it's going to show where I'm at. But that's, that's a high level of hate. But that's what it is. Even Jesus' own disciples, they didn't like the Samaritans. Man, Jesus threw them for a loop every time he would go and talk to Samaritans. He would, Jesus would actually not avoid Samaria. He would actually go through there and go in there and talk to them. He even talked to a Samaritan woman once. Total cultural no-no. And they couldn't get it. Why is Jesus having anything to do with the Samaritans. One time, Jesus was going to Jerusalem and he wanted to go through Samaria. And so he sent his disciples on, a couple of his disciples on ahead of them. And they said, get us a room, find us a place to stay and get some food and everything like that. So his disciples went up. They wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't give him a room. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. So the disciples came back to Jesus. And in the chapter right before this, check out this exchange. It's Luke 9, 54. After, after James and John tell Jesus, hey, they won't give us a room, they won't let us stay there, they say this, Master, do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down out of the sky and incinerate them? Would that be good? And Jesus says in the next verse, of course not. Seriously, guys? To me, this is hilarious. They went and ran in a room and they're like, do you want us to call in the F-16s and just torch the whole place? We'll do it. Um, no, guys, that's okay. We're, we're good. But this helps you get a picture of the divide, of how much each group hated each other. And you have to hang on to that for this story to see the Good Samaritan. 
and what this means, all right? So the Samaritan, the good Samaritan comes and does three things. Three things that we can learn from, all right? The first thing was he saw the man, right? He saw the man. The second thing was he took pity on the man. And the third thing was he took action. Those have to be three staples of this church, right? Three staples. The text says he saw him, and that's where we need to begin. We need to open up our eyes and see the people in need around us. We can be so focused in on ourselves, so focused in on our families, even so focused in on our church that we don't see the people that are around us that are hurting, that are half dead, that are dying, that are in need. We can miss the crisis. We have to open up our eyes and and, and see people. I don't want us ever to, to label success as a church as the things that we do in here with carpet, with coffee, with anything like that, with paving the parking lot. To me, that's not success. Success is when people are made whole, when we see people, when we go after them, when we take action, when we take pity on them. That has to be how we measure success. We have to open our eyes, and not only open our eyes, but be willing to take pity on people. That's what the text says. He took pity on the man. He was filled with compassion. Pity isn't exactly a popular word today. We can substitute that with compassion. Think of that. He saw his enemy. He saw his enemy. And no doubt, everything in this man's head would say, this guy wouldn't do anything for you if the roles were reversed. But instead of dwelling on that, he chose to feel. He chose to see this man as a person. Somebody who has worth. Maybe he thought, what if this person was, that's lying there was me? What would I want someone to do? And that's the key, empathizing. It's putting your feet in somebody else's shoes, right? It's asking the difficult questions. What it, would it be like if I was raised in a home like that? Instead of just seeing that person and what they're doing, what's behind why that person does that? What kind of home life has that person had? What would it be like if I experienced what that person experienced? What it would it be like it for me if I was sexually abused? When he took notice, he was willing to take pity. And in that moment, he looked a lot like Jesus, right? Because that's what Jesus did time and time again. He saw the person. He saw the worth, the value, the potential. One of the most common words to describe Jesus' emotional state is that of compassion. You'll find that more than just about everything else. And the word for compassion is, is the Greek word splagchizonosomai. All right? Everybody say that. Splagchizonosomai. All right? Thank you. Yeah. But it means to be moved in your inward parts, in your gut. It's like when your stomach 
is in knots. It's, it's like when you hear somebody describe something horrific that happened to somebody. I remember there's this famous story, story in the last couple of years of this kid who just lived in hell. His, he lived with his mother and, and, a, and a boyfriend, and they beat this kid regularly, and he'd go to school with the bruises, and the, the police came out, the teachers came out, but nobody ever did anything. They listened to his parents, and the kid ended up dying. And I wanted, as I was leaving, it was, it was like a six-part event, and it just got worse and worse as the series went on, and I just wanted to just go up and grab that kid and rip him out of there. Turned my stomach, right? That's what compassion is. Puts our stomachs in knots. And I remember after that kid died, man, I was sad. I didn't even know that kid. But I was sad. You know, that's how the Bible describes Jesus as well. As a man of sorrow. A man of compassion and a man of sorrow. If you're following the Advent calendar that we prepared for you, on the 10th you're going to read Isaiah 53. And you'll see that, that description of Jesus. But if you do that, when you do that, I want you to remember the burden that Jesus had for people and how he saw people and how he took pity on people and then what he did for people. That's what we see in the Samaritan he sees a lying man lying there. He takes pity on him. He emphasizes and asks himself, what would it feel like to be beaten and left half dead on the road? He takes pity. And then he takes action. Verse 33, But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He bandages him. He pours oil and wine. Wine is an antiseptic. It's a disinfectant for his wounds. And the oil is an ointment to bandage him up. Then he puts the man on his donkey. The man, his enemy, ends up being where he should be, and he ends up being where his enemy should be. And don't just miss this. He doesn't just throw money at this, right? He actually does something. He actually helps this person, his enemy. He takes the time. Isn't that one of the most precious things that we have nowadays? I think we're, we're pretty quick to throw money at stuff. But what about the time? What about the inconvenience? What about when you're watching the Buckeyes? And somebody needs something. Hmm. I think time is the excuse that many of us has. This guy says to the innkeeper, hey, I have to go. Indicating that he's busy. I don't know what. Has he got business plans? I don't know. But he's got stuff that he needs to do. But he still took the time to bandage this man up and to help him and to minister to him. To a complete and total stranger. To an enemy. Think about this. When this Jewish man comes to, he's going to be disgusted 
that a Samaritan helped him out. That's how he would, he would react if this was real. He would be horrified. He would be totally ungrateful. Totally not appreciative. Have you ever done something for somebody like that? But this man was willing to take action regardless. He gave his time. He gave his resources. This man laid down his pride, right, to serve his enemy. And that's the call for our church, right? That's what we have to be about. We have to be people that look around and see people in crisis and not just see their sin or something they're dealing with. We have to think, what's that person been through? Why are they on that road? Why are they on that path that they have? And we need to reach out to them, to have compassion for them, to have our guts churned for them. And then we need to take action. We need to serve them, right? Even if they're our enemy, even if they're the people that we don't like. Who's our enemy? Maybe somebody who comes against the church with some kind of doctrine or some kind of belief. Who is that? How do we see them? Do we just write them off? Or are we willing to serve them and to love them? That has to be what our church is about. That is what will change this community. That is what will change this world more than anything else. That has to be the call on us. And I tell you what, this is normally where I would want to end the sermon. Sorry, still got two more pages. All right? And I'll tell you, it needs to be the call on our church. It needs to. And it needs to be a, a direction for us. And I want us to live it out. And I, and I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit, open our eyes, help us to see people, right? Call us to things. What is God calling you? I've been talking to you about that. What is God calling you to do? Man, we need to partner together. We need to partner together with God. But God's got to be calling you to something. What is that? And I want you guys to figure that out. Because that's the only way this church does what God wants it to do, right? But that isn't the point of the story. Like I said, the point of this story was to help this man see you're not a good Samaritan. That's the point. You see, this man was being told that the only way to get to heaven, by his own admission, right, we read this in the beginning, was to love God perfectly and to love his neighbor as his self. And now he knows, and now you and I know exactly who our neighbor is. It's everyone around us. It's everyone that we come into contact with, even our enemies. And when you think about that, heck, I struggle to love people I care about sometimes, let alone the enemy, let alone people that hate me, like this good Samaritan did. The point of the story for this guy is to come to a place of desperation. And it's, it's to come to the place where he says, Jesus, this is impossible. It's impossible to do this. If this is what it takes to inherit eternal life, then Jesus, who can be saved? There's no way. And hopefully this man has come to the place where Paul says, 
and realizes, like it says in Romans 3.20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. My friends, there's no one good enough. There's no one who can do enough good to save themselves. You can't be good enough to earn your way to heaven. And that's what Jesus wanted this man to realize. This man who started off so proud and so smug and was ready to lay down the Ten Commandments and the law and bring Moses to testify him realizes that really Moses and the law is testifying against him because the law shows us that we're sinful people and that there is no hope in our good deeds and our good works. And to bring us to the place to say, how then can I be saved? Hopefully that would be the point where Jesus would come in and say, it's through me. It's only through me. It's only by grace and faith. It's only when you accept the free gift that I give you. You can't save yourself. But I can if you'll trust me. If you'll depend on me. If you'll put your faith in me. In other words, I don't know if you guys realize this in the story, but Jesus is the good Samaritan. He is. He's the one who came down from heaven. He's the one with wine in one hand, right? Wine represents the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for us on a cross, the one who heals all of our wounds, right? And he's the one with oil in the other hand, which represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who brings us new life. The Holy Spirit who can take a dead person, a half-dead person, and bring them back to life. I don't know if you know this, but you may be alive physically, but before Jesus, you're dead spiritually. You're half-dead. Until you meet Jesus. The story isn't about don't be the bad guy. You know, be the good guy, do better. And instead it's you're the dead guy. You're the half-dead guy. And you need the God guy to come in and save you. Right? You need the God guy, the good Samaritan, to save you when you can't save yourself. miss that our Lord and Savior is willing to go to the cross was willing to to go to hell and conquer that so that we could live he was willing to put us up on the donkey he was willing to put us in the place that he should be and he took our place right he took our place on the cross willingly that's the good Samaritan. He's the only one that could help us. Your deeds are nothing compared to his righteousness. Your deeds are like filthy rags, the Bible says. And it's only through faith and belief in him. I just, I just realized this, though. I always put myself in the story as a good Samaritan, but I'm not him. You're not him. 
You see, I always want to be the hero. But my friends, Jesus is the hero. He's always the hero in every story. And we all have to realize that. It's a huge revelation. So who are you in the story? Are you the half-dead guy right now that needs Jesus to save you? If you are, you need to come talk to me right after this service or grab somebody in here. And we'll explain to you how to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then you can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe and be saved. You need to come to me. I have a feeling many of you have had that point in your life, though, where you've come to that realization. So who are you in the story now? There's only a few choices left. You're not the good Samaritan. You're not the half-dead guy. Hopefully you're not the priest and the Levite, right? We've probably all been the priest and the Levite. Too busy, should have helped somebody, but we didn't. Just walking by the half-dead man, that guy just brought it on himself. That, that person deserves that, right? If they would just been better, if they would have just been stupid, they'd be okay. Maybe we've just been too busy or not wanted to sacrifice our, any of our time and our money or our talents to help that person. God help us, we can't be that, the priest and the Levite, right? We can't be that. So who's left? Who can we be? Who's left? And I think there's a profound message that I never noticed in the story of who we're called to be. We're called to be the innkeeper. We're called to be the innkeeper. That's where God wants us to be serving. Think about this. It's the position where Jesus, the good Samaritan, brings people to. Joan brings people to, right? How can I be saved? The good Samaritan saves people, and then he brings them to the church, to us to continue on the work, to see people made whole, to walk with people on a new path. That's what we're called to be. Jesus tasks the innkeeper, gives him the means, right? Gives him some money. Look after this man until when? Until I return. Until he returns. My friends, that's us. That's the church. Carry on the work of Christ until he returns. That's our call. To help anyone, anyone, with that. Anyone that Jesus brings into our path, right? Anyone who's broken, we're to help them to wholeness, to nurse them back. And I don't think we're called to be the Hilton, all right? I think we're called to be a bunch of Airbnbs. This has to occur outside this building, in our lives, in our homes, Bring people into them. That's where you encounter. It needs to be at your work, at your home. That's where we encounter people that, breathe, that God brings into our lives. Two final thoughts. The innkeeper was given money, right, to help that person. Friends, let me tell you. You've been given money. You've been given time. You've been given resources, and they are not Yours. You are bought for 
and there was a heavy price paid for you. And God entrusts you with those things. It is not our money. It has all been entrusted to us. So my friends, we better use it the right way. We can either build God's kingdom and use all those things for that, or we can build our own. And I've spent way too much time building my own. It's entrusted to us. Use it wisely. And like I said, I'm not just talking money. I think time is the bigger message. Service, ministry, action. With money, our tithes and our offerings acknowledge that. That's the reason we do that. We come to the place where we realize it's on loan from God and I'm just going to give the first portion back to you, whatever that is. All right? But it should be the same thing with time. We don't know how many days we have left, right? Are we going to serve? Are we going to go after people? Everything's from God. The second takeaway from this is that when we do this, right, what's the thing that gets in the way of you doing this? Well, what am I going to have to sacrifice? What am I giving up if I give my money, if I give my time? Maybe that's the thing getting in your way, right? But what's it say at the end of this passage? And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. My friends, don't you dare let anything get in the way of you giving. And don't you dare let it be, well, what am I going to have to sacrifice? What am I going to have to give up? Because, my friends, you are sacrificing nothing in the great scheme of things. Because he will restore and replenish anything far more so. Double what you give. Double what you sacrifice. So do not let that get in the way of us being the church. Would you stand with me? Like I said, don't let what you might think you have to give up get in the way of serving. My friends, who is God putting into your path? Who is God bringing to you? Don't be so busy. Don't be so focused in on yourself. Don't be so focused in on the church, right, that we miss those things. My friend, God's calling you to something, and it might seem scary. It might seem like it's going to cost you a lot. Maybe your pride, maybe your pocketbook, maybe your time. We have to be willing to lay those things down to serve him. Every one of us. I was, I was, Logan, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about you lately. What is God calling you? Man, a young man. And I see there's something going on or or maybe a year ago there was something going on. I don't know what that is. And I see other people, and I think the same thing. What is God calling you to do? Pray. Pray about that. Seek him out. Grab somebody alongside you and say, hey, will you pray with me? I think God's calling me to this. 
but it scares the stuffings out of me, right? And I don't think how he could ever do that. But I want to be faithful to whatever he calls me to, and I don't want anything to get in the way. Pray about that, all right? Who is God bringing to you? Who is God putting in your path? Who do you hate right now? Who can't you stand? Would you ask God to replace that hatred with compassion and love? Will you try to look at the worth of that person? Will you try to think of what has that person been through? And pray and ask God that you'll love them and have an opportunity to love them. Father, we just thank you for today. Lord, would you, would you call us collectively to be your church? Lord, I know we're not the good Samaritans, but Father, there's still a work to be done. There's still people to see, people to have compassion for and things to do. Lord, would you help us to recognize that when you do bring somebody to us, when you do bring somebody and put them in their path, it's not a coincidence. And Lord, when it scares us and when we don't know what to do, Father, would we rely on the church? Would we rely on your spirit for wisdom, for strength, for power, for understanding? Lord, would we be desperate for you? Would we not let anything get in the way of all those things? Father, I pray if there's spiritual sin that we're struggling with, Lord, I pray that we would look to you and that you would remove it so that we could carry on your work with all your power. Lord, help us to be the church. Help us to, help us to group up together in small groups and do ministry. Lord, help us to be family to each other and to be there for each other. Lord, we, we ask you to just move. Father, I pray that you would, you would be speaking to everyone right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be calling them to something. Show them something. Give them something. Give them a person. Lord, to just maybe they'll send a card to you and just say, I'm thinking about you. Is there anything you need? Help us to step out of our comfort zones, Lord, and to serve you with everything that we have. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, you may be seated. If you didn't vote, now's the time to vote. And then, um, Carol, do you have somebody that's going to pick up the votes? Oh, yep. If you have your vote, just put them in the plate, and then we'll, we'll go from there. I have no clue. So, this is a mem- active members only vote. Yes. Yep. All right. Somebody want to make a motion to open the meeting? Yeah. All right. I saw Brian. Somebody want to second that? George. All right. All in favor? Say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. Now comes the time to vote. Vote. Turn it in.
Exactly what am I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, this kind of a strange setup. <laughs> but there were 36 votes cast, and it was unanimous that James Palmridge would be our lead pastor. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. We we appreciate that trust. Um, we can say something. Do you want to say something? Else? Okay. Uh, we appreciate that trust. I I hope we all get this though. This is something we need to partner together with. There's there's stuff to be done. I hope we can get to the place. There. I don't know if you've ever watched The Chosen, but there's this mantra in it, and it said, "Get used to different." Right, and I hope maybe that's an attitude that we can take moving forward because we want to build a kingdom, right? We want to be outward focused. We want to take care of each other and be there for each other, but we need to start looking outwards and see who God is bringing into our paths, right? And it's going to happen doing it together, walking together, following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So be praying for that. All right, all right. Thank you. All right, Don, you want? Second, I'm going to give it to Daniel. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? All right, you're dismissed. Thank you.